I'm amazed to find out that the two of you are actually different people. I just thought it was <laughs> some kind of deep psychological psyop or something. You're actually going to be the first person who can confirm this because when Julia came to visit it was a weekend, Emilio was out of town. So no one who knows us has even seen us together. No one has seen us in the same room. This could still be some kind of virtual projection. We don't know for sure. That's life, isn't it? I like to think that if I came up with a virtual projection, it would be better than the current one that I'm currently living through. That's why I made Julia one of those uh, like face app switch. Just like keep (laughs) Jewish features, change, (laughs) balding. Uh, Incredible. Yeah, I feel like we used to think it was really cool. We're like, wow, I found someone who is exactly like me. We like all the same things. And now I feel like whenever we say the same thing at the same time, we're both kind of like, Fuck you. (laughs) Yeah, like stop doing that. You're so weird. (laughs) Yeah, I know that you've had a lot of media thoughts, John, but this one will be really fun. We're ready to talk shit on chess. I'm always ready to talk shit. Are you obsessed with chess, but also kind of fun at parties? Do you keep your opening prep on your bedside table right next to your feelings journal? Welcome to the Chess Feels Podcast, the only chess podcast dedicated to the social and psychological aspects of this game we know and love. And hate. Tune in every week to join me, professional chess teacher and amateur feelings haver, JJ Lang. And me, professional therapist and amateur checkmate finder, Julia Rios. And me, as we dive into our shared love for the game and attempt to answer the most burning question for every chess obsessor. Why are we like this? Yeah. I'm so excited for this. We'd love maybe for you to introduce yourself briefly. Yeah, my name is John McKenzie. I'm someone, I don't really know what I do for a job. I I do a lot of media stuff. I speak on a lot of podcasts. I run the media for a company called Analytics FC who are in the football data industry. So I spend a lot of time thinking about football. I also, as you've mentioned, I am on a chess podcast called The Chess Bit. I do hate chess. So yeah, I think that just about covers it. Um, I I live in the UK. You might have picked that up from my voice. I, I think that's that's pretty much it. I think that's about as much as is interesting about me. Yeah. Can you tell us how you first got into chess or how you first were introduced to chess if you ever got into it? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. I'm not entirely sure how I got into chess. I was at university with a lot of people who liked chess having never played it. And, and this is when I was a grad as well. So at this point, I was like late 20s. I was at a decent university and a lot of the people who were there were quite good at chess. And this really induced me not to start playing chess because I knew mm. that I would immediately be amongst a group of people who were very good at chess. And I was always going to be way behind. Even if I was good at chess, my, my journey would be so far beyond theirs that it was just no point doing it. However, it just never really let itself go. And when I was living in London, one of my friends from uni who had, he played a little bit of chess, actually, uh, a guy called Robin, who's on the chess, but he played a bit growing up when he was at school, but not to any sort of level, uh, didn't play. And then we he, he sort of got into it, I think, because I got back into it. But we spent a lot of time walking around London, going to pubs in London, and we've just got into the habit of just taking a chess set with us. And whenever we got to the pub, we would, we would throw it out. And we played pretty similar levels. I think he has very much improved since then. So he he batters me every time we play. But at that point, you know, I would occasionally take games off him. He would 
take games off me. It was it was good fun. And and for me, it was that aspect of going to the pub, hanging out with my friend and knowing that we would have a decent level of, of competition. Since then, I've played a little bit more chess. The problem is, is that all of my friends are just much better at chess than me. <laughs> and so I think part of my hatred of chess is that. But I think it's worth saying that part of my love of chess comes from the culture of chess. And I find mm. it super weird how with other sports, there's a normalized account of fandom where you're like, you know what? I like Manchester United. I don't, I hate Manchester United. I don't know why you said that as an example, but I, I like this club and I watch that club and I enjoy their games. That doesn't induce me in any way to then go out and try and pretend that I can do the things that Manchester United players do. And I feel as though in chess, there very much isn't that sort of space. Everyone, everyone sort of thinks, and I, I understand it because right, if, if you look at what Magnus Carlsen does, anyone can do what he does, right? Anyone can move a knight to a certain spot on a board everyone's pieces move the same yeah except Kasparov's yeah. yeah exactly so there's nothing nothing theoretically st- stopping us even even in the realms of wild possibility right you know monkeys and typewriter stuff I just move the pieces around the board I could feasibly play a game as good as, as Magnus Carlsen and so I think because of that there's this general idea that well you don't enjoy chess without wanting to play it and get better at it. And for mm. me that's never really been the experience for me I like the culture I like being able to play to a decent standard and, and have fun with friends doing so. And I, maybe part of this is because I'm super competitive and I know that if I got obsessed with chess, I would probably just wind up dead in a bath within a couple <laughs> of years. So anyway, that's a potted history of my hatred for chess. Yes, I love that. That is so relatable. <laughs> yes. Uh, Julia, I want you to jump in because I think you have a lot to relate to. Yeah, I just I'm nodding along with you, John, because I started in my late 20s, just like you. I mean, I knew how the pieces moved. I had played a little bit with high school friends. I had one friend who was really into it and studied it. So I would play with him and he would kick my butt. But I had never really sat down and tried to get better or really play chess until my late 20s. And now my best friend in the chess space is JJ Lang. So I just come in knowing I'm going to get clobbered over and over again. And there is something that keeps me coming back. My charm. But it certainly is not the chance to win. So it definitely, it wears you out. Seeing how bad you are at chess on just a regular basis, like what what keeps us coming back to take the beating? I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I think the ability to lose is, is an important one to want to get better at chess. And I don't have that ability. I, I think there's certain things where I do have that ability, but I think you have to you have to be motivated to want to lose enough to get good. And I I think for me, like chess has never really been about winning or losing. It's been about being able to play to a standard where I can give my mates a good game, which I think is a slightly different distinction. Can I also hop in with a different distinction? I'm curious whether, do you feel differently in games where you feel like you lost versus games where you were beaten? That's a good question. I So on the chess pit this week that we had Chris Russell back on and he was talking about how he's only played like, I think, seven games competitively this year. And he feels a little bit cheated in a few of them because he's he, he's felt like he's never really even got out of open. Well, they, those, those goals were, go, games were won in opening prep and it doesn't feel like he's actually played the game, right? And I mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a, a similar thing for me in that I think my, my skill set lies in I think middle game, because I think in the middle game, you sort of just do things that make sense. Right. Whereas in the opening, you have to, yeah, I'm not going to sit down in in an opening and be like, right, which of the, which of the eight pawns is better to move first here? Because you don't have the time to do that. Right. So the, the opening, you need to sort of have a rough idea of, of, of what you're doing. I think I like those, those feelings of 
having won because you sort of you were battling with an opponent over a logical problem. Whereas I think to bring it back to what Chris was saying, sometimes it feels as though I'm losing games because other players are, are really well prepped. Now I know that Nate Solon wrote a thing about this recently, suggesting that people aren't really that well prepped, and that's maybe just a, a bit of an illusion. But I think in terms of the enjoyment, I play people from a range of like uh, 1,000 Elo to 2,000 Elo, <laughs> and it's such a like wildly different skill set of people that sometimes I just wish that there was someone who was just my level, who was just there, who I could play, and I didn't feel as though oh, you know, I lost, therefore here I am on my hierarchy of improvement. It's just sort of like, oh, we had a we had a damn good game and we gave it everything and then we'll we'll do the same next Wednesday at the pub. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I only asked that question because I think for my own enjoyment, I don't mind getting outplayed. And but if I can get something where I thought we were in a strategic fight and my opponent really saw things I didn't or like let me achieve my aims and they just didn't achieve what I thought they would achieve. That kind of leaves me fulfilled and excited and the result is immaterial. But if I feel like I just outplayed my opponent, miscalculated something, blundered something, and they stumbled into it, I'm not sure I would say that I get mad, but I'm, I was just wondering for people who describe themselves as hating losing, whether they see a difference between I dropped the ball and, oh, they outplayed me. Yeah, I don't think anyone enjoys losing, losing, right? And I think for me, the distinction is, are you willing to go through the pain of losing enough to get better that's where it's at for me and yeah. mm -hmm. i think that the issue that i have is that because i have an obsessive personality i know that if i were to go for it i would go for it and it means that i would go through a lot of pain <laughs> i'd have to go through a lot of the pain of you losing and also i would also forget to eat and stuff like that which is <laughs> <laughs> like problematic john i think we're so similar in that way Except for the small difference where I, for some reason, I don't hate losing the way most people seem to hate losing. And I always talk to JJ about this. I think it's because I'm a youngest child. So I joke, I never won anything until I was like at least 10 years old. So I had to learn how to enjoy playing without having a shot at beating anybody at anything. Never won a video game, couldn't win playing basketball. So I feel like I'm in that stage you're describing where I'm getting beaten up. And I'm so obsessed with it that I forget to eat. And it's like kind of wearing <laughs> on some of my relationships, certainly on my PhD dissertation, but I'm still coming back. So I don't know, when do I start to roll over? But it's a good point. You have to be ready to bear that pain. It, it is inevitable. So I want to hop in also and ask something. So you've identified almost your ideal relationship to chess of one where you and your mate can leave it all out on the board and then come back next week. You've identified chess culture as something that's kind of lacking the space of just being a fan without trying to emulate. So I guess my question is, what's your ideal chess fandom look like? What do you wish chess culture was like? I, I don't know. It's, it, that's a, it's a really good question because I think that the chess culture space is changing at the moment. And something that we've talked about on the chess pit a lot. When I started playing chess again, in any sort of serious way. I did. I don't know if you're supposed to do this or not, but I actually just jumped in at the deep end and played a few over-the-board tournaments and got roundly battered by most people. But I did pull off a draw from a losing position against a 13-year-old, which, yeah, for <laughs> listeners of the chess pit, will know that that's one of my finest achievements. And um, <laughs> uh, I did eventually win an over-the-board game. To be fair, my, my proudest achievement was pulling off a draw against an 11-year-old. So that's, <laughs> so yours is even more impressive. Yeah, there's nothing to be sniffed at. That, I, yeah. I had two years of advancement on that. But, um, but yeah, I, 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 I simply haven't played any tournament 
chess since since I won, which which makes me think that all I wanted to do is prove that I can actually win a, a rated game of chess. But in terms of in terms of the fandom side of things, like what it's weird because I started out like going to club chess stuff just before the pandemic. The pandemic has happened and I think chess has just irrevocably changed since then. So mm. obviously there's the Queen's Gambit. That's changed things, but I think the pandemic has also changed things as well. And um, I, I think that it got a lot of people into chess and it made a lot of people realise that chess can be not nerdy, which I, I guess is neither here nor there. I quite like nerdy people and and I think that's partly what draws me to chess culture. You like you too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I, I do think that in terms of the fandom that is available now, we're definitely at a sort of critical juncture in terms of where the space could go. What it looks like in particular, I don't know, but I have never been happier than I have watching the world championship this time around, just, you know, watching it as purely as a fan, someone who doesn't know a huge amount about chess, just being able to watch those games being drawn out over a long period of time and sort of being able to just sort of focus on a slow game of chess and just enjoy it for the spectacle that it was. And I just don't think that that really happens very much for people who want to watch chess casually. I guess I watch chess professionally in the same way that people who watch the World Cup in football do it, which is, okay, I don't keep up with it all the time, but every every so often there's this big tournament that I follow and I can sort of fall into it. And I do think that it's important to accommodate for the people who are going to enjoy chess that way because I think at the moment it's very much sort of aimed at people who have the time and space who follow these tournaments and follow the players and and roughly know what's going on in, in chess as well but I think in terms of the media they definitely are making that move I think there's a lot more stuff available for people to to just sort of follow casually and I think that the most important thing is this this sort of sense I think that we're starting to get amongst 20s and 30s that actually chess is something that you can do with your mates and it's not something you, know, you need to sort of pretend is you know is, is some kind of weird kink that you have it's it's something that a lot of people <laughs> do and a lot of people enjoy and it's like a normal thing to do and that's what I've really loved about the last the last couple of years of, of following chess is just people getting in touch with me saying oh I know you do a chess podcast I really got into chess recently and and that being like a normal conversation that I've had with probably around 30 people who've mm. been induced into chess through either things like the, the Queen's Gambit or just just the fact that they had a huge amount of time on their hands in the pandemic. And uh, yeah, just one final point on that is that I think that what's been great recently is that a lot of these people who got into the chess online during the pandemic and now joining clubs and, and it's becoming more of a social thing for them. And so hopefully we'll see an influx of younger players into a scene that is usually full of like old men wearing anoraks and eating sandwiches out of plastic bags and stuff. But yeah, for me, it's a space which is a lot more open and engaging and is respecting of different, you know, diversities in a way that it hasn't been before. It sounds like, John, for you, because we were kind of trying to get you to talk about both sides of it, right? You come on and you say, oh, I hate chess, but there's also this deep love of chess, right? You do a chess podcast. There is something there that keeps you coming back. And so it's nice to hear about those things you love. And the thing I hear you keep returning to is that social aspect. And I just totally, totally agree. Like that's really what got me hooked was being able to sit at a bar with a friend and have a couple of beers and play a game of chess to me is the perfect night. <laughs> so I think without that, if I was just playing online against people that I didn't know, it just doesn't hook me. I don't feel as invested. I totally agree with you. But I'm curious too, beyond just playing against your friends or different people that have a higher rating than you, where you feel like you're taking that beating, where, where else does the hatred of chess come in? And where do you feel like you're at right now in that love-hate relationship? 
Yeah, I think, well, my hatred for chess, I think, comes from the fact that it will always be bigger than me as a theoretical entity, right? And I've gone through life as someone who's largely been like quite naturally good at things, be it sports, be it academic stuff. I I went through like the PhD route and stuff like that. And chess, I think, obviously carries with it that kind of intellectual aspect that a lot of people think, well, you know, if you're smart, then you'll be good at chess, which obviously has been debunked by many people at many times. But again, I think that I have a real need to, to be able to feel as though I understand things. And really master it. Yeah, exactly. And chess is never going to be that for me. And so I think I hate it for that, like that fact that it will always elude me in a certain sense. But you know that at the same time, there's a sort of ineffability there, which I think is what maybe keeps people going back to religion. Uh, And as someone who is sort of religious myself, and yet being a Lutheran also simultaneously hates religion as well. I wonder whether or not there's there's something going on there in terms of that ability to feel overwhelmed by something that is going to just always be bigger than me in that sense. I don't know. I don't know if that made any sense, but... It makes perfect sense. There's something so beautiful about that. How many things in a lifetime can continue to be just out of grasp and elude you in that way? Mm. Isn't that what is so enchanting about it, right? Yeah, and you, the more time that you spend trying to understand it, I don't, I don't want to invoke like the Dunning Kruger or whatever, but it, it very much is like that for me. Like the more that you know, the more you realize you don't know about about really? chess. And it, it's funny, isn't it? Because I guess most people coming to chess for the first time will be like, you know, how hard can this be? The pieces move and you try and check this king dude and then and that's <laughs> it, right? But you you go into it and and it's just incredible the amount of depth and complexity. And that's what draws me to it as well. Right? I like things like that where you can just... I play. I, the, the only chess that I really play at the moment is correspondence. I'm playing. I play with a guy called Tom Lawrence. I've played him twenty times on Lee Chess, and I've beaten him once. Um, and yeah, I think that that was a lucky game because it was. I played the Roy Lopez, and it was straight after the World Championship, so I had a bit better understanding of the Roy Lopez after the World Championship. Um, I, I I also play another guy who is the um, deputy editor of the I Paper in the UK. We play correspondence games over three days, and. I literally like it takes three months to finish a game, right? But <laughs> I can sit, I can sit for three days looking at the same position and I can come up with different ideas every time, pretty much. And I can I can reassess what I've thought before. And I and this is just in chitty little like games against a guy who's, you know, rated, I don't know, like 1300 or something 1400 um i don't really understand how the the correspondence ratings work because i mean i'm way out of whack because i play someone who's like way higher rated than me but um it's it's just it's it's just a remarkable that just an unimportant game that i can sit down over the course of three days i can have it i'll have the position in my head most of the time and i'll be thinking oh what am i going to do here julia has a (laughs) has a term for that when she when she does that (laughs) i'm like nodding so much john because you are describing my exact relationship with online chess. Like I just love playing these correspondence games. I play with JJ who will beat me 19 out of 20 times at least unless I get lucky. She sells herself short here, but part of it is what we're going to talk about, which is how I usually, I'm just so afraid of being consumed that I make most of my moves in like 20 seconds. Yeah. And what Julia (laughs) describes herself as doing when she takes like several full days moving is she describes it as taking a soak or soaking in the position. Yeah. And that's the, yeah, this is actually something I don't know if this is you, something you found, but one of the things I find is that I get to certain situations where I feel as though it's a critical juncture and I make a few moves quite quickly because I feel as though I've 
played the position wrongly. And then when mm-hmm. I go back and analyze it, I'm like, actually, I was in a good position, even after I thought I was in a bad position. And it was the fact that I played, started playing quickly that actually made me lose rather than the fact that I thought I'd made a stupid decision. And we kind of talked about that exact effect in an earlier recording that JJ and I did. So it hasn't come out yet, John, and you haven't heard it. But I mean, really that exact effect of as soon as I feel like I'm losing or the game has gotten away from me, I shift into this mental headspace where I'm either not trying as hard as I was, or I'm trying to make up for lost time. I'm playing more aggressively. What are some tactics I can start to implement to keep me in more of that solid headspace where I'm still just looking for the best move and playing the position in front of me. And that's something that a lot of the people I teach at the intermediate level have the hardest time with is I show them a position or we're going over a position from their game. And the first thing they want to do is start talking about candidate moves. And I, and like they don't want to pause and say, okay, is your position better, worse, or equal? Is it complicated or simple? You know, what are the goals here? And they just really want to get into the comfort of variations because they have that 2000 tactics rating on chess.com or whatever. And so they feel like they have at least some ability there. And to actually pause and be like, what are my goals here? And let me assess that because the number of times people have at worst wondered, but at best just wasted 20 minutes when they didn't need to because they misevaluated the position. And then all they want to talk about is what the right move was. I don't care. (laughs) Just (laughs) if you can't evaluate your position, that's the problem. And then that's when this kind of tilt that Julia is talking about comes in. Yeah. I think that my problem is, is that I play to a, a strategy. And as soon as that strategy deviates, I'm like, oh, well, I've got to have to just start playing batshit moves to try and throw my opponent off. And I think this is another reason why I hate chess, because it just destroys you psychologically, right? <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. it, I come out of games where I've spent, like I say, I'm playing co- correspondence. So I'm playing like three weeks between 10 moves. And then I just throw away a position because I've decided that, oh, well, the strategy and the position and the idea I had in my head didn't go right. So I just sort of gave up with it and was like, oh, well. And then I look back on it and I'm like, I was playing fine. Yeah. It was still an okay thing. It was just a different position. There is no, there is no, I don't know, idealistic path that you have to walk through this game. There are plenty of junctures where things are going to change and you have to, I guess it's not particularly a profound point, but you have to be able to recognize where those forks in the road are coming and mm-hmm. then settle, settle down and say, right, now I'm going to reevaluate my position and work out where I go from here. And that's one of the things that I think just, it just crucifies me psychologically because I look back on it afterwards and I'm like I had the ability to do better that at that moment and yeah it yeah. was the only in terms of the uh, ability to play chess but it was my psychology or my attitude that let me down yeah and that sounds like the specific skill right is when your strategy or your plan breaks down to go from that mental headspace instead of okay well then I have no plan to okay I need a different plan and that sort of set shifting can be really hard to do but at least now John, that you've recognized that that is a mental headspace that you struggle with or is a challenge for you, you could start to isolate that skill of when that feeling arises of, man, this is all going to shit, recognizing that and shifting to, okay, we need a new plan. And again, how can I play the position in front of me? And correspondence Mm -hmm. is perfect for that because that can be as simple as as soon as you realize that the plan's gone to shit, that's a good time to just close the window. Yeah. And, you know, maybe next time you open it, you double check and see if that plan went to shit. And then if it did, you close it again. And then the third time is when you <laughs> finally start asking that question. And that can be a really great way to practice that. But also only only if you want to, right? Because this is not a podcast for chest improvement. This is a podcast for chest frustration. I do have a, a personal rule now, which is that I don't make a move on the same day that I find the other 
players move unless it's an obvious like takes back sort of move so yeah. I think that definitely helps me and I think that's why I like correspondence so much because it is just so much easier to manage your psychology when you've got three days to make a move and you can just be like at the moment I'm, I'm in a position where I think I've left it two days because I've, the position sort of went the way that I went that wanted it to go down it simplified a little bit and the problem is is that I still have this at the back of my mind I'm, I'm like oh I had this idea that I wanted to work mm-hmm. and I know it's not going to work so now I've just been like right forget about the position come back to it in a couple of days mm-hmm. reevaluate and then go from there so yeah you can't do that in <laughs> in the uh, rapid shares <laughs> um i would be definitely the victim of my uh, of my worst neuroses if i were to play any level of, of quick chess so. hard sam one thing that you were saying about uh that feeling of hitting chess for always being bigger than you i was wondering as you were talking about that whether something can be said about this desire to understand this thing that is always going to be bigger than you or incomprehensible. I was wondering, you know, what's the difference between understanding and improvement? Because those things might sound similar. It might sound like the more you're able to un- improve at something, that must mean the better you understand it. But then what you were saying, I thought was totally right, which is part of improving at chess means admitting how much you don't know. So there's almost a sense in which the culture around how to improve is not so much a culture around how to understand chess at its core as much as how to limit the effects of your lack of understanding and something more like some of the creative writing you do around chess or something more about the ways that we would explain what's going on in the chess game at a high level to a general audience can help with understanding more than something focused at improvement, which requires admitting that you're never going to grasp all the nuances or that you just have to accept certain positions as having an evaluation and memorize them and move on. Yeah, that's really interesting. In my academic study, I worked in the areas of philosophy and theology. And one of the ways that particularly medieval philosophers and theologians talked about the divine was to talk about uh, a negative theology, which is you can't talk about things that are about the divine, because if you do that, you'll be getting it wrong. You can only talk about what the divine is not. And I I wonder if that's maybe a useful way of thinking about about chess as well um that that when we're learning we're not learning what is we're learning about what's not and maybe we're cutting off the corners of uh, and making things a little bit more of a shapeful but but we're never going to arrive at that clear outline at the end so yeah that's that's a really interesting way of looking at it how you would incorporate that into some sort of pedagogical system i don't know but that's a cool question I think maybe the that maybe the, the the point is is that when we're teaching, it's the same with like the basic rules, like the three rules of opening, right? Mm-hmm. And like any pedagogical system, right, you use shortcuts in order to arrive at a point where you're, you're inevitably going to say, actually, what we told you before was wrong, but it was right enough for us to teach it you. And I, th- I think that the whole of my chess experience has been that that actually, you know, you think, you know, don't push the F pawn, like control the center, do this X Y Z. Um, actually, there, there comes a point where you recognize where those rules are actually wrong for, for a very specific reason as well. So yeah, again, that's another thing that, that I do like about and hate about chess at the same time, that the fact that, that every time you think you've got a handle on something, then it, it sort of bites you on the ass eventually. And so that actually ties into something else we were both wanted to know. So as somebody, you know, you work in the sports space and sports analytics and podcasting space and talking about this way that chess almost has this grip. And I like the theological analogy. Um, So everyone wants to know, you know, about whether it's more of a sport or an art. So we want to ask you the burning question, is podcasting a sport? (laughs) Podcasting. Yes. And if so, who would win between 
this podcast and the Chess Pit podcast? <laughs> well, I've just got to the end of a very, very, very busy media week because uh, the, the one of the managers for the club that I support has just left after four years and he's one of the most famous managers in the world. And it's meant that I've done a huge amount of media work. So right now, podcasting feels very much like a sport um, <laughs> because at the end of this week, I feel like I just want to have a really long sleep. Um, That's a good if, definition of sport. It makes me tired. Yeah, I like no, I think so. Yeah, yeah, right. Perfect. Chess makes me tired, uh-huh. and football makes me tired. Therefore, ipso facto, <laughs> ergo, QED. Right. This is like, yeah, this is this is like that's the most sound logical reasoning I've ever heard. I love it. Mm-hmm. Wittgenstein can suck it. Like that's that's the <laughs> definition of a game done. I'm super curious too, John, how it feels for you to sort of have this love hate feeling towards chess and maybe even have times where you feel like, man, my heart's not totally in it. This sucks. I don't know how many times I want to come back to the table and take the beating. How does it feel then to be doing a chess podcast and talking about chess all the time and in a way that you probably would need to be super engaged or passionate about it? Is there any kind of tension there? I'm lucky in that the guys who are on the chess bit with me are all, well, very much chess adjacent. So so Phil and Chris both teach chess uh, and Robin is obsessed with chess. So that means that if there's a week where I'm feeling a little bit off, I usually host the podcast so I can sort of take a back seat and let them just chat things through. But it's definitely true that sometimes I'll be really motivated to have a chat about things and then other times I won't. Usually those times when I won't will be when Fide has done something stupid, which is fairly regular. So there's definitely that political aspect that, that has put me off recently. But yeah. I, I do find that my love for and love slash hate for chess ebbs and flows. I will go through phases where I'll play quite a bit. When my brother-in-law is quite into chess, and so we will when he comes over to visit, we'll play a longish game and I'll always win <laughs> always win and it frustrates him. But if we were to play <laughs> rapid chess, he would he would batter me because I just don't ever play it. So um when he comes around, he's he's sort of so infectiously enthusiastic about chess that I sort of get back into it a little bit. I'm I'm very easily led, I guess, in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm again, if I'm around down in London with the guys, they'll get a chess out, and then I'll I'll be I'll get into it. So yeah, again, I don't mind it so much when when I'm around the guys because I've said as I've said, like it's a social thing for me. It's it's something that you can sort of have going on. I'm someone who's maybe a little bit awkward in face to face a lot of the time. So like, I like having something that I can do to sort of pretend that we're not here just to have a conversation, <laughs> if that makes sense. And there's maybe a yes. weird thing for someone who spends a lot of his life talking to people saying, but again, it feels as though like there's a function to this kind of conversation, whereas like small talk, I'm not as good with. So it's nice to have chess there for that. Oh, yeah. It feels totally different to sit down at a bar with someone and play a game of chess and talk while you're doing it versus just sit down and stare into each other's eyes and like try and think of what to say. If I know you, I don't. Why am I talking to you? And if I don't know you, why (laughs) should I talk to you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not very good with bars. There was that thing obviously going around Twitter recently about going to a bar to read a book. So when you say going to the bar to play chess, like for me in my head, like going to the pub and playing chess is like a normal thing to do. But I think that, I don't know if there's a different, is there a different feeling to like going to a bar to play chess? Would that be like a weird thing to do? I think it depends on the culture. I think it would be, I think the people who thought it was very strange to go to a bar and read, besides those people just being morally deficient people, I think that (laughs) what they were picking up was more of a sort of, why would you go in public if you're going to be alone? And so in that sense, I think they could probably understand 
a game of chess better than they could understand someone sitting by themselves reading. Yeah. I'm guessing that like a bar, like is is it, it gets a little bit more busy in an evening and like a little bit more clubby in an evening. Is that right? I really think that bar and pub could be interchangeable here. That's kind of how I meant them, yeah. John. The bars that become kind of clubby and loud are not the bars that I go to. <laughs> no, you should try so, it though. You know, maybe that oh, everyone I've else is it. dancing around and you're like <laughs> playing chess, doing whatever you do with the F porn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I when I was visiting JJ, we went to I mean it was a bar, it was like a brewery, but it was mm-hmm. probably more what you're describing as a pub. And we sat down and we um just played a long game of chess and <laughs> this is the perfect outing. No revisions, no notes for all the reasons you just described. But there's just so few people that I can do that with. So maybe I just need to make some more chess friends. And it was more like that in Chicago where there were a, a number of clubs that met up at different pub brewery type places, although the the best chess club was located way out of the way on the south side of the city at a McDonald's. And that was unfortunately the best place to get a game because that's where all the strongest players hung out every day. And it was just like the franchisee of the McDonald's was a big chess fan. It was like, as long as you wait till after the lunch rush and like, aren't too obvious about the fact that you're clearly gambling on these games, you can absolutely (laughs) use all these tables. And that's where like local like Blitz Legend, like Hustler Tom Murphy and all of them would set up shop. And that was a very funny space because you just had like, they would be super nice and welcoming to the kids and stuff. But it was less of a like something like a pub or a non-clubby bar that I think is meant to be fostering the sort of community space. And instead, it's just this very functional utilitarian hyper capitalist in and out with your dollar burger has been taken <laughs> over by something that and it's just it was this beautiful way of like seeing a community force its way back into an area of the city that had lost those spaces. Um, yeah, that's great. But I forgot why I went there. Anyways, go to the, go to the, go to the McDonald's chess club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Again, I feel like John, for you, I feel like we're very similar in the sense that like that social component is so important to your love of chess. And I really related to what you said about how, when your brother-in-law comes over, he loves it so much. It like excites you again. And I definitely went through that where I was totally obsessed with chess. I was playing a ton of chess and then like just kind of caught up to me in my PhD program. I just got super busy and I definitely kind of fell off and I had a lull. Um, and then I very randomly got on chess Twitter uh, and started playing with JJ. And then it like totally went back to a hundred again, instantaneously. Oh, also, Don, I have a question for you about this, um, which I've alluded to you before, but the whole reason that I got into chess Twitter, I had been on Twitter since 2013. So literally like eight years and had never posted anything, had never used Twitter um, and had never interacted with chess Twitter. And there was one tweet that was so funny that I retweeted it and got into chess Twitter for the first time ever. And it was from the Chess Pit podcast. And I really want to know if it was you or who it was that tweeted this. If I say it, do you think that you'll remember? I think so, yeah. Okay. (laughs) The tweet in July of 2020 was, every day is International Chess Day. Grow up. (laughs) (laughs) That that was not me. That was Phil. Definitely Phil. Phil. Yeah. Um, I think Phil and I are mutuals already, but Phil, shout out. Thanks. You got me into chess Twitter. I retweeted that. And then I think I followed a couple accounts and JJ was one of them. Wow. And it's been 
a beautiful friendship ever. So, since. so where are you guys relative to one another? Are you a long, long way apart? JJ's out in the boondocks, aren't you? Yes, exactly. Um, when you were talking about living in a robo in London, I was going to say the equivalent of that, I think, is just moving to Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cheaper. Yeah, and... Julia's really good with geography, so I'll let her explain. <laughs> Why does JJ treat me like this? Um, I am because notoriously, <laughs> I am notoriously so bad at geography. It's so embarrassing. It is the true like. <laughs> It's the true hole in my intelligence. Is Nebraska but... west or east of Michigan? <laughs> I mean, west. to be honest, like west. I'm not great with U.S. geography as well. But me neither. I'm asking her about a trip she that. took last month. That's different than just asking <laughs> a geography question. But if you had asked it more open-endedly, like what are the coordinates? I would have thought like more south mm-hmm. and like a little bit west. But anyway, <laughs> we digress. <laughs> Um, John, I'm in Ann Arbor, Michigan. You might not know where that is, but that's where I'm doing my PhD is at the University of Michigan. Okay. Michigan's like central-ish north, right near one of the lakes. Yeah, that yeah. sounds right, JJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Central. It's like, it will definitely be considered central-ish and you look at the map and you're like, oh, that's more east than I thought it would be, but it's definitely central-ish because the middle is just so large. Yeah. So we're very far apart, which is like the bane of our friendship because I want to hang out with JJ and play chess with someone who not only loves chess, but is really good at chess. About a, it would be like a, maybe a 12 hour drive. Yeah. 12 hour for about, drive. That's short for Americans though, isn't it? Yeah. So we're definitely both in the Midwest, roughly speaking, but Julia's drive to Chicago would be just under four hours. Although she tried to convince me it was a two hour drive last time I was in Chicago. And then <laughs> that was two times any ago. drive is as no, quick as you want, right? It just depends how fast you drive. So uh, technically, you know, I was like, it's less than two hours. I think JJ was like, no, it's, that's it's, not true. It's more than double that, my friend. <laughs> but, and then because we did the move from Chicago to Nebraska, I know that drive is eight hours. So I'd say it's about a 12 hour drive. So yeah, it's not like, it's not coast to coast or anything like that, but it's not even a one day drive. Yeah. Um, I'm about yeah, we're not, to drive we're not to hanging London. Out on the How long is your I'm drive? I'm about to, to drive London? to London later on tonight. And that's, that's a three and a half hour drive from here. And, and I'm like, oh, that's. That's a bit of a long drive, really. That isn't it? So, yeah, but yeah, um, absolutely. And I think that is. And when it comes to chess clubs and stuff, do you have anything locally, or if you want to go to the club, is that where you have to go? <laughs> I haven't even bothered to look for chess clubs up here. That's like um, Julia in Michigan. She's like, "Why would I play chess with people I'm not already friends with?" <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, true. I, I already have I my chess friends, and I'm so slow. I'm so reticent to let in new people and make new friends. I make one new friend like every three years. So (laughs) JJ Ling was the most recent introduction to my life. And we are on hold until at least 2025. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I went to a few chess clubs in London and the experience was pretty, pretty daunting. Um, But are they serious or. Yeah, they, they were very serious. Um, they were probably too serious. Uh, you may you may have picked up that I'm not the most serious of people, although maybe I don't know. Sometimes um, I can be unlike serious, us. But... Yeah, this has been super awkward. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is a very serious podcast, John, and you yeah, have really derailed. <laughs> no, nothing. I feel as though I feel as though I've brought brought this this podcast, like many of the podcasts that I'm on, down down to my level. But um, which we yeah, appreciate. Was... Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I felt like. <laughs> I felt like the people that I met in chess clubs in London, and I'm sure this is not representative. 
Um, and it probably isn't even representative of the clubs that I went to. I just would go to an occasional chess club night to see what was what. And I think a few times, like I ended up going along when there was like over the board tournaments being played. So I just sort of got lumped with with everyone who was was left and they, they tended to be nutters. Uh, which is fine. Like, I enjoy nutters. I've said I, I, I enjoy chess culture partly because of the nutters that you you are constantly coming up against. But um, yeah, I've never really I've never really been the sort of gregarious kind of person who's just going to descend upon a group of people I don't know and 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 uh, yeah, I don't know, sparkle and and. I, I yeah, I get that. Us. I feel like that's really held me back from looking for anything here. Just the thought of spending an hour or two across a table from someone I don't no it just doesn't really sound that good to me so maybe yeah. i kind of need to get over that but i would just so much rather spend an evening playing chess on zoom with jj or yeah. like with the one or two friends i already have here that play um it's hard to it's hard to take that leap but it mm. seems like that is something that is really helpful for people's games is to play these classical games that they actually analyze at a club um, but I'm with you, John. It's hard to do. And I will say that like this is something where as a slightly more experienced player, still very much an amateur, but like especially now in Nebraska, but even in Chicago, there is a chance that most clubs or chess nights I would walk into, I would be the strongest player there. And like that comes with a sort of privilege that at first made me just want to not go to the club. But then I started to realize that the privilege was an ability to change the culture kind of just by being myself and that mm. it becomes a much harder for these 1600s to be taking themselves so seriously when I'm just getting shit faced and playing blitz and like making jokes <laughs> and stuff and still beating them. And like, it's not to be like a show off. It's to be like, no, like, see, like, this is fun. And like, I remember several of them were like very surprised that I drank, which I mean, I don't really know even where that came from, but it, or, or some were just like very surprised that like I would, like I was really making a lot of jokes with my friend and just, you know, we're going back and forth, you know, talking shit, trolling each other. And just, I saw it was very fun seeing other people just start to open up almost as if they were given permission that this was a way of being. And that's just something you can't do when you're a lower rated player and there's already established cultures and like you're there making a fool of yourself, losing, almost feel like they might even feel like you're wasting their time. But it's very hard to be serious when you're losing to a clown. So that's something that I would definitely say to other people who have thought, why would I want to go to a chess club where I might be higher rated than everyone else? Well, because you kind of get this weird, or at least if you're a dude, a white dude, you can almost get this ability to shift the culture more to what you want it to be because people respect your chess. And that's just not something that you have elsewhere. And that's been a fun experience because yeah, the, the stuffy clubs are just like really embarrassing. Yeah. And that's partly what I talk about when I'm talking about chess culture. Like uh, I, I want to see more of that ability to just go to a place to play chess and hang out and just have fun and not, not come away with it. Cause I feel like, like you say that there's, there's, there's almost like the idea of drinking when you're playing chess, people will be like, well, that's not the most serious way of like upping your rating. Um, <laughs> and I, I kind of like I kind of feel like who cares like I also maybe the, maybe not but yes who cares? yeah yeah exactly yeah. Or sure. who cares like, yeah, what, whatever whatever say. floats your yeah. boat right yeah. in, in in a canal boat in London but <laughs> for me yeah for me it was just so, so so it was so hard to get away from that that chess improver mentality that everyone seems yeah. to have which is like I'm I don't I don't I cease to have any sort of existence within the chess world unless I reach a certain rating point rather than I'm an individual who has a personality who who 
you know, plays chess as well. Um, and I would like to see more of, of that sort of side of things. And chess players are will people move too. That yeah, exactly. <laughs> and hopefully it will move that way now that there are younger people coming into it. But the idea of just of, of having a sort of chess social event where you can just go along and play each other and not worry too much about your your ratings or whatever. Like I, I rarely ever play rated games as well, to be honest. So um, I, I'm just happy playing playing a good game and then thinking back and being like, oh, I remember the bits of this game that, you know, there's a good move there. There was a good move here. Um, hopefully I'll remember that the next time I play. But, <laughs> yeah. That, that, that maybe, maybe again, maybe that's just me, but. I feel like I see that even in the chess podcast space, a lot of it is really awesome and it's really helpful. And they're talking about the improvement stuff and people are soaking that up, right? People want more of that. It's great. And I also feel like there is a big space for that already. And maybe even what JJ and I are hoping to accomplish is kind of in line with that, John, of just trying to like let our hair down a little bit and like be a personality that also plays chess instead of the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not just be so solely focused on the improvement stuff, because like you kind of so beautifully described, chess is just such this like rich, beautiful space where there's so much to get out of intellectually, socially, culturally, that goes beyond just the rating. So um, I think we're hoping to like kind of fill in some of those gaps and 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 bring a slightly different vibe. I don't know which if you is, can feel the difference, but which is one reason why I wanted to say since you have, you know, much like much like today's grandmasters have studied all the blunders and pitfalls made by their predecessors, <laughs> um, you as the more experienced podcaster, what are some of the worst things that you've done or that the chess pit has yes. done that you regret the most? And how do we avoid making those same blunders? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, well, I mean, the first mistake we made was to start a podcast two <laughs> weeks two weeks before the pandemic. Um, I mean, yeah, to start a podcast one, that was the biggest mistake. We made. <laughs> Damn it, um, yeah, secondly, we made it just before the, the pandemic struck. So that was tricky. Um, the, the other things have, have always been like tech related. So because mm. I because I do a lot of pr- production on, on podcasts, I could get a little bit pernickety about about people getting the 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 tech right but i'm sure you 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 guys have got decent mics and you know what you're doing so that'll be all fine we Um, also have an in-house producer she well my my wife runs a podcast production studio uh, like she's not actually producing us but like she's she's on call for questions and well i'm not even sure if it's help as much as being like you're doing what no 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 (laughs) see that was going to be my fourth point that was going to be marry someone who works in podcasting so you've done that one um but yeah i think think maybe the the biggest thing that we did was i don't know maybe it, it got to a point where we got a little bit too stale at one point i think where we had we had a sort of structure and the structure was starting to be to the detriment of actually the the vibes um and things have changed up a little bit chris took a little bit of a break so we used that as a, a tu- uh, an excuse to maybe set things up differently uh, and do things a little bit in, in, in a little bit of a different way and that's been great and we've made it i think now that we've we we started out the podcast with a very strict structure when we didn't know each other that well and it's now been well over a year I think it's been over two years now. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think as a result of that, we can now be much more sort of natural together. And and I think that takes a lot of pressure off because you can 
much like in this podcast, you, do, you don't have like a really strict structure. You just have a few things that you're like, we want to talk about these things. You sort of meander through them. And then before you know it, the hour's up and, and you're like, wow, we, we've recorded a podcast. Like we've, we've achieved it. Um, so definitely, uh, I, I definitely have no doubts that you guys are going to, you're going to put out a good podcast. I think you're, you two are the, the most fun people in chess. <laughs> Let's be honest. Thank you for saying that, John. That means a lot coming from no, but you. It, you have good taste. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to retract that to an extent because I don't think the, the bar is that high. But you guys, <laughs> you guys clearly <laughs> sailed over the bar. Do you mean like fun. the club or like up more of a pub? <laughs> yeah, uh, you guys drink when you're playing chess, like yeah, we do. We're cool that, as fuck. That, yeah, no, that's yeah. what um, that's what uh, that's what uh, Dvorkovich said when Fide wanted to sponsor us as the official chess podcast of Fide. Um, that we were just the coolest <laughs> people in the chess space. Um, yeah, I, I did. I did get that. I didn't think that Fide would be um, would be heading your way for a first first sponsorship in the in the chess. No, Why no, not, our though? first. Why not? No, our first sponsorship was. Uh, I, I can't remember because it was so long ago. But no, we've had many sponsorship offers already. <laughs> but um, chess.org. We are going to be giving away um, a premium membership to Lee Chess. So uh, retweet this episode with your favorite joke that john mckenzie made on today's podcast and you'll be eligible <laughs> for three months of unlocking all the features on leechess.org um actually wow. it's going to be a lifetime premium uh access i think that we, we oh yeah we well i'll be a different that. giveaway but okay we'll, we'll put that one on hold we'll edit <laughs> You're that saying that i'm only worth three months is that what it is <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean but you know unlocking all the features on leechess you know that's <laughs> not everyone has that is it including Everyone the win feature them. on Lee Chess? Are you saying Are that <laughs> whoever wins is going to be able to actually win games of chess? You get um, you, you I would get pay to, for that. You get to promote your pawn to a king, and then <laughs> they have to stupid. checkmate both. But then you have to checkmate both of them. <laughs> nice. Hey, that's not a bad idea. I would play that at least once. <laughs> we we did actually go through a phase of doing variant chess, um, which is yeah, it was good fun on the. Oh, that's clip. cool. Yeah, so we had a few really crazy ones but um, how did you guys all kind of get synced together to form this podcast did you guys all know each other already or how did that little group form yeah it's a good question so um phil was working with chris and i knew phil through i don't even know how i knew phil maybe through twitter slash we 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 i i, I went through a phase of watching cricket um okay <laughs> largely to deal with like the fact that i'd just gone through a breakup and i was in london and oh. i didn't really know anyone there so i was like if i get a, if i get a season ticket to the cricket the cricket is just <laughs> always on so you can just sit there and pretend that you're doing something uh despite the fact that you aren't really doing anything and fill the hole but, in your heart yeah and, exactly <laughs> and and um Anyway, Phil was working for the cricket club as the the scorer, which is a very nerdy thing, but basically just sits there and, you know, I guess like you would do with baseball, mm-hmm. um, but sits there and like is the official scorer. So he has to write down everything that happens and make sure there's an archive of it. And um, I, I kind of knew him through that. We, we used to sit in, like he used to sit in an office to do his important job. And I used to sit like five feet away on the other side of a wall in the crowd <laughs> Um, and we didn't know each other at this point. So it's like, I, I felt as though we sort of did a lot of our bonding in those moments when we didn't actually <laughs> speak to each other, but we were in the same sort of vicinity. Um, but we ended up we ended up uh, becoming pals. And I suggested to him, why don't you start a chess podcast? Because they're, they're, at this point, 
it, back in the days of um in 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 the days of the 2019s pre-covid you know, yeah exactly the podcast was a, was such a niche right i don't know if you've seen there's there's a there's a guy who works in the sports media here who is universally hated by everyone uh, but he he started a podcast in 2020 and last night filled a, a small venue in in the o2 arena like a small side venue with with his podcast thing and he put oh, out ben a tweet Johnson. and was huh? <laughs> Yeah, Ben Johnson. No, it's a, it's a guy called Jake Humphreys, and he, he's like a really annoying dude who who thinks that he's like a genius because he's he's because he's famous, right? Um, he started out in children's TV and then worked worked for F One and then now works in in football. Um, but he he put out a tweet last night being like, look with a picture of the queue to his podcast live podcast audience and he was like i started a podcast back in 2020 and they told me you know it's just such it's too much of a niche it's you know it's not worth starting a, a podcast in 2020 and now look two years later now and i've look. filled out this this small room in a um in a, in, a, in the meeting but anyway he's been getting the piss taken out of him for <laughs> suggesting that and and then people were like who on earth was telling you that podcasts were niche in 2020 and he was like well i talked to my mum and dad about all of my business decisions so literally <laughs> his mum and dad were like nah i don't think podcasts are gonna really kick off here like oh he didn't say that as a joke he was serious. <laughs> no no he was absolutely serious yeah that's so, so, there you so go. funny anyway i'm I not do, sure i was going with that oh yeah i, I told them to start like, a podcast yeah when i first started listening to when i start, first started playing chess and kind of studying and looking for podcasts i think the only one i stumbled across was perpetual chess actually and now i feel like that space has grown so much. Yeah. Yeah. And certainly when we started, there was pretty much perpetual chess. I think there was one that had been started earlier and then stopped something like a chess breakfast or something weird like that. Oh, uh, but yes. other than that, I don't think the, there really was anything out there when, when we started doing it, certainly not in the, the UK space. So, and I mean, to my knowledge, we're still the only podcast in the UK doing chess. I don't know. Maybe that's not true, but um we'll say it for sure yeah we're the only chess podcast yeah in the uk that's worth its bacon yes <laughs> biggest and the say. best i love it <laughs> that'll be very good for uh, as a lead magnet for us yeah wow <laughs> well as you as you so expertly alluded to when the hour was almost up the hour is up did you so, like this has been such a lovely chat and I've, i guess you yeah truly any- john Thank you so much for uh, sharing your hatred slash ambivalence of chess with us. And I, I really hope that in sharing these experiences and stories, people who are gra- gravitate towards chess or something about chess, but feel repelled or frustrated by others will hear this and be like, oh, I'm not the only one or not, or the, the, there isn't something wrong with me because I'm not fixated on spending my life savings on chessable courses and memorizing thousands of variations or something. Because, you know, we're out here. There's do- there's dozens of us, and we can do a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I hate lots of things as well. So <laughs> if anyone out there wants to talk about hatred of other things, then do get in touch with me. Can you I'm, I'm give us mind. give us some of your top what, what's on the like top hits list? It's got to start off with myself, right? As a good British person, <laughs> I fully hate myself. Um, I don't know what else. My upbringing. I have lots of chips on my shoulder. You know. <laughs> The, the, as a therapist, the call them fries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a free therapy session. You're opening up so many doors for me, John. I have a lot of follow-up questions for you, but we don't we don't need to cover that on the air. Okay, I'll I will I'll do another <laughs> session with you two. I'll be on the couch, and you can talk me through my various neuroses. But oh, I can't um, wait yeah. to roast you. 
<laughs> That's not how therapy works, JJ. <laughs> then what have you been doing to me this whole time? Not therapy. I can tell you that much. I'm certainly <laughs> making all of your problems worse. <laughs> well, as always, making all of your problems worse. We'll be signing off the Chess Feels podcast. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, John, that was great. That was As always, thank you for letting us take you into this deep, dark forest. Where two plus two equals five, and the path leading out is only wide enough for listeners like you. Intro and outro music provided by JPEG Mafia. We would be truly touched if you subscribe and leave us a glowing review. And tell all of your friends. (laughs) Yeah, all of them. And every week, we'll be gifting one lucky subscriber who leaves a five-star review a lifetime premium diamond membership to leechess.org. Unlocking all of their features. Even that? Especially that. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at ChessFeelsPod. Oh, and if you didn't like what you heard, do not hesitate to message any feedback. No matter how critical or scathing. Directly to Mr. Dodgy, our social media manager, even though he doesn't know it. (laughs) At ChessProblem. Yeah.